What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. in D.C., 5 p.m. in Beijing, and here is your top five at five. Bubble fears overblown what Bank of America's latest fund manager survey has to say about the state of the market. But Beijing has a new message for one Chinese fintech giant, shape up or ship out. This is China's government sends 25 warplanes over Taiwan and maybe sends a big message to Washington. Thought this back surge was slowing? Think again. Dealmakers prepping to announce the biggest blank check merger to date. The U.S. vaccination boom rolls on as hospitalizations fall dramatically in most areas of the country. So is it time to start sharing the wealth with other countries? Former FDA Commissioner Peggy Hamburg is here to weigh in. And yet more economic fallout over Georgia's new voting laws. It's Tuesday, April 13, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning, everybody. I am Bertha Coombs in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and global markets are setting up their day. Stock futures indicating not much action at the open. This morning's action follows some slight declines for the major averages yesterday. Most are still nicely up for the month so far. In fact, more than 400 of the S&P 500 are higher in April. The top performing stock this month NVIDIA up 14% so far this month after a big pop yesterday. All right, so let's check in with Brian now. I think you've worked out your technical difficulties. Good morning, Brian. Technical difficulties, Bertha. I was out, you know, outside getting the garbage ready, just enjoying another 5 a.m. morning. (laughs) Normal stuff that we do during the week. Yes, I got everything. I plugged it in and it worked. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. Hi, everybody, and good Tuesday morning. Thank you for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. Sometimes things do that. Have you tried rebooting? All right, so Bertha hit the stock market. We are seeing Dow futures on the move just a little bit. Meantime, in Bondland, some big inflation data out today that could, could rattle the markets if it comes in just a little bit too hot. We're going to be watching that as well. Also, you've got some of the markets wondering if it's possible rates could rise sooner than expected because It didn't get a lot of attention. But yesterday, Jim Bullard, a Fed official, put on his health official hat and said that once vaccinations reached 75% of the population, it would be possible to begin talking about tapering. Now, whatever you think about his comments on that, at the current pace, we might able to be actually to get to that point by mid to late summer. So it's possible, at least based on Bullard's view, that the Fed starts talking about raising rates This year, yeah, it's unlikely, but interesting comments from Bullard that nonetheless did not get a lot of attention, but maybe should have. All right, now to some of this morning's other top Tuesday stories. 
Credit Suisse has reportedly cut bonuses for its staff by hundreds of millions of dollars, all in the wake of the Archegos stock trading scandal and its related nearly $5 billion loss. That, according to the Financial Times, no comment from Credit Suisse as of yet, but the magnitude of the cuts will likely be revealed when the company reports quarterly results next week. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will reportedly decline to name China a currency manipulator in her first semi-annual foreign exchange report due out on Thursday. According to Bloomberg, the move would allow the U.S. to sidestep a potential flashpoint with Beijing. This is a reverse from the previous stance of her predecessor, Stephen Mnuchin. And more economic fallout for the state of Georgia, that following the passage of their controversial voting law. Will Smith and director Anton Fuqua say they're pulling their upcoming film production of Emancipation out of the state and moving it instead to Louisiana. A slavery-era drama which is being produced and financed by Apple Studios is the first major production to cite the law specifically as a reason to leave the state. Remember, Georgia offers generous tax incentives to Hollywood productions and has become a major hub for Marvel, Netflix, and other studio heavyweights. We're also following a developing story overnight out of China. Taiwan's defense ministry says China sent 25 warplanes into its air defense identification zone. This comes a day after Secretary of State Anthony Blinken warned Beijing that Washington was ready to defend Taiwan. China, of course, considers Taiwan part of its sovereign territory, a story certainly for you to continue to watch the ratcheting up of geopolitical tensions over the Straits of Taiwan. And staying with news out of China, a developing story this morning as part of China's crackdown on big technology and specifically Alibaba. Regulators are now calling on its fintech arm called Ant Group to revamp its business in the wake of that multi-billion dollar fine. Arjun Karpal joining us now with more on this story. Arjun. Good morning, Brian. Well, this all started back in November when Ant Group's $34.5 billion IPO was pulled by the regulators over some regulatory concerns regarding financial technology or fintech here in China. In December, Ant Group was asked to rectify its business. We now have an idea of what that exactly looks like. The regulators here have asked Ant Group to set up a separate financial holding company. They said they must also uh, create more separation between Alipay, the mobile payments app it runs, as well as some of its credit products as well. They need to also increase data protection and scale down uh, Yubao, which is their money market fund. At one point, this was the largest money market fund in the world. Now, this comes after, as you mentioned, Alibaba, the affiliate company, uh, faced a $2.8 billion fine over an anti-monopoly investigation here in China. But to some extent, this has removed a sense uh, or a source of uncertainty for investors in Alibaba. We saw hate, uh, Hong Kong listed shares of Alibaba higher yesterday. They were higher again slightly today. In pre-market action in the U.S., they're slightly lower, but certainly uh, for investors, this does clear some of those black clouds hanging over. There are still a few concerns, I'd say, going forward, particularly around Ant Group. This was a company that, after the IPO, would have been billion, uh, uh, valued at over 300 billion U.S. dollars. Absolutely massive. Now, with these new regulations, which might even perhaps uh, force the company to hold more capital, that could hurt the valuation significantly. And finally, the biggest question of all is the crackdown on Jack Ma's 
empire over? That's the big question uh, investors will be looking at. Brian, back to you. Arjun, did you say that Ant Group would have a 300 billion U.S. dollar valuation? I, I knew it was big. It's that big? It was huge, Brian. Yeah, absolutely mammoth. If they had gone to market uh, in a dual listing, as was planned back in November in both Hong Kong and Shanghai, that valuation would have uh, been pegged at over 300 billion U.S. dollars. Absolutely mammoth. I mean, it's a huge company. It's got hundreds of millions of users using its Alipay mobile wallet. Here, you, you walk around in all the stores, you use it online. It's, it's ubiquitous. The other point here, though, it wasn't just about mobile payments for, for Ant Group. They were pushing very heavily into loans, into credit, many of these other areas which had very high margins for the company. And that was one of the things that's really concerned the regulators is that a tech company like Ant Group is pushing in to what banks would have traditionally done. And the regulators here are concerned about any systemic risk that might uh, stem for that. Of course, the other argument is the, the government wants to tighten its grip on some of these technology companies that they feel may have uh, grown a bit too big for their boots. That's the other side of the equation here as well. So lots at play. And certainly the regulators here are not just looking at Alibaba and Ant Group. They are now starting to widen their net onto some of the other com uh, companies here in China. So the market's going to be watching very closely as to what happens mm. next. I guess the equivalent here, Arjun, it's not perfect, would be if, if Amazon started a bank and a banking mobile app and then everybody used that but only with Amazon. Would that, that would be a good sort of rough analogy to what Ant Group is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just given the scale of Amazon, you know, that's the kind of yeah. scale we're talking about even bigger for Ant Group. Even bigger. Amazing. Arjun Karpal, Arjun, thank you very much. Big crackdown in China, guys. At the same time, they are sending fighter jets over Taiwan. Lot to watch there. All right, lot to watch here, by the way. And when we come back, just when you might have thought the SPAC trade was slowing down, investors brace for what might just be the biggest deal yet in the SPAC space. And it could come as soon as today. Later, blazing, scorching, sizzling. How would you describe the red-hot housing market? Well, it's your morning RBI and some stats you gotta hear on just how hot it really is are on the way. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back and good morning or good evening, wherever you may be. Bank of America is out with its latest fund manager survey. Now, it's long, but some of the headlines from the report are this. 
66% of fund managers say the equity market is in a late-stage bull market, and only 7% think it's currently in a bubble. Now, among the top risks they see to the market are the bond market moving, a taper tantrum, if you will, maybe caused by inflation, also concerns over higher taxes. You know what you don't see on that list? COVID and the pandemic dropping off the top three risks. Now, of the most crowded trades, 32% say it is still long technology, but that is down from 80% worried that big tech trades were over hot in September. To see if he agrees with this and more, joining us is Hennessy Funds Portfolio Manager, Josh Wine. Josh, good morning. Good to see you again. Would you agree morning, is, is a bond market shift, maybe like the one we saw about a month ago, is that still the biggest risk to you? I, well, I suppose it is. I mean, I think that really it's, it's more inflation. And, and so we're, we're starting to talk about inflation more. And, and I think that, you know, I think we're fighting, you know, the acceleration in growth due to the reopening, at least in the U.S. Does that offset in, any increase in inflation and, and yields on, you know, like the 10 year, for example? And I think about a month ago, the market wasn't so sure. I think now as we march steadily higher in the S&P 500, I think that growth seems to be winning the day. So I, I don't see inflation as an enormous risk right now. I think we can talk ourselves into a little bit of a frenzy as it relates to inflation and, and the, the resulting bond yields. But I don't see that as, a, as an enormous risk. I, I think that it's, it's more the perception. I think the Fed has telegraphed the idea of an elevation in inflation and has tried to do a good job there. But uh, I would look at yeah. taxes. I think taxes is, is definitely something that's not fully appreciated. Yeah, and we're talking taxes, obviously. The negotiations continue on. And if they look like we might see a jump in corporate rates and or upper income individual rates, certainly that could be a market mover as well. But let's talk big tech because one of the names, and you brought names for us, which we love, is a big tech company. But it's not really, it's not one of the fang stocks unless we add an E. What do you like about eBay? eBay. Yeah, it's funny because eBay, it, it brought me back to the good old days of 2000 when we talked about B2B and B2C and, and all of that. And, and, you know, I guess this younger generation doesn't fully appreciate that eBay was the non-fungible token of 2000. It was it was the hot item, the shiny object. Ah. And so, yeah, you know, eBay, you know, obviously 20 years later is is, is quite relevant. They've you know divested their uh, you know, their StubHub and classifieds business. And so in our, our large growth fund, we look at return on capital and price to cash flow. And so, you know, strong returns on capital, you know, in roughly 50% yeah. and, you know, about 16 times cash flow. Uh, they're, they're growing, you know, their gross merchandise volume is, has grown at a very nice clip in the last 12 months. So I, I think it's something yeah. that people forget about. It's, I think we all know what eBay is and we, we, we kind of forget that it's... But it's I think it, it's, it has it's shifted. Now. I, I, actually, I actually think I bought a pair of skis on eBay in like 1997, and I'm not kidding. That's right. Very yeah. quickly, speaking of 2000, and I'll say it in a good way, Oracle, another kind of, I don't want to say a name we've forgotten, but it's not a name that gets the attention it used to, especially because we haven't heard from Larry Ellison in a couple of years. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's not it's not Ant Financial exciting, but yeah, Oracle, you know, they've they've been you know, doing their thing, you know, in the database market and, you know, about a 30 plus percent share in the relational database market. But again, you know, you know, it's a holding in our large growth fund. And, 
you know, very strong returns on capital, you know, incredible free cash flow generation, you know, roughly 70% of their revenue is predictable and recurring, you know, the, the support and maintenance revenue that a company like Oracle, uh, you know, gets from their customers. And I think that, you know, investors wait for growth to return, you know, as more clients migrate to the cloud and, and more kind of application oriented services are offered to yeah. clients and accepted, you know, there's, I think we get kind of that upside and eventual growth. I think they'll figure that out, but an incredibly compelling story, you know, margin expansion and, and yeah. steady growth. So yeah, just as relevant now as ever. Yeah, amazing. eBay and Oracle. By the way, I posted it before. I have a picture of me at the NASDAQ. I think in 1999, eBay was like 300 a share. Oracle's, I'm yeah. going to have to repost that picture, not just for my haircut, but for some <laughs> Commerce One. Remember them? Yahoo. I, I, Josh yeah. Wine. Thank you very that? much, buddy. Yeah. Hennessy Funds. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there you go. I, I am <laughs> CMGI, ICGE, all the Zybotsu company. Net. Anyway, Josh, thank yeah. you. All right. Good Thank stuff. You. All right, still on deck, where Sonoma, or Walla Walla, meets SPACs. Details on one major winemaker's ambitions to go public and the women behind that master plan coming up. Today's big number, 37%. That's the share of tech stocks that were unprofitable over the trailing 12-month period, according to Bernstein. That's the second highest level ever after the dot-com collapse. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right. Well, not many companies in the wine business have gone public. We've had a few and of the bigger ones. You've got the LVMH, Constellation Brands. Many of them have also expanded more into spirits or beers. Well, this could change as one company is set to go public next month through, yes, a special purpose acquisition corporation, better known as a SPAC. Terry Wheatley is the president of Vintage Wine Estates. They will be going public via a SPAC merger with a company called Bespoke Acquisition Corp. at evaluation of $690 million. And I don't know whether to say, Terry, good morning or good evening, because you are joining us from California and we appreciate it. And by the way, I have paid for this interview many times over in BR Cone <laughs> and Cameron and Brown. So I'm glad to have you on the program. Uh, thank you. Yeah, why do this spec? Why now? Why now? Why now is the perfect time when you look at um, you know what's happening, what's happened during the pandemic with a lot of smaller wineries struggling. There's over 10,000 wineries in the U.S. and there was a recent study saying over half we're willing to sell. So accessing the public markets right now to bring extra capital in to be able to acquire, because if you look at our track record, we've been able to acquire 20 companies in the last 10 years. So it's a perfect time to, to access pub, public markets. And is that the idea to use some of the proceeds? Because people probably don't know vintage wine estates, but I guarantee I mentioned a few, they know the brands. 
You've got Coupe, yes. you've got Tamarack, you've got many, many others. Is the idea yeah. to continue to roll up and scale up other vineyards? Yeah, absolutely. That's that, That's been our model for the last 20 years. As I said, 20 acquisitions in the last 10 years. And what we see now is we can go and not only um, accelerate our organic growth, we think we're going to have about a 9% organic growth. It, we've done that in the past. We're going to do that in the future. And then a roll-up. As many, let's say we could do two to three acquisitions a year. In our um, business model, we've only put in one, but our track record says we could do a whole lot more. So it really is a roll-up, um, a roll-up model. Yeah, you know, and the wine business in particular, Terry. Um, without getting into it, where you are, my former, my home state, my state of birth, California. Obviously, it's mm. had its its climate issues and wildfires. And I know that there's been vineyards not only destroyed, but also smoke tint on some of the grapes. So I've got some friends yeah. out there and they're like, it doesn't have to burn. It could still damage it. Is the wine industry in general changing? Are we seeing values move a little further north? Some people say, you know, maybe Oregon is the next Sonoma. Mm-hmm. Well, for us, that's one of our strengths is our, our diversification. So we have um, prime uh, vineyards in Napa, Sonoma, down on the Central Coast, as you said, up in Oregon, up in Washington. So if there is a wildfire in the Napa Valley or over in Sonoma, we're all, you know we're able to very quickly go down to the Central Coast, go up to the Northwest, and and fill whatever we need. So diversification is is absolutely critical for us in the sourcing, and, and also diversification in our our distribution model. So if you look at our company. That's what we're why we're so excited about the future. We're positioned with what I call a three-legged stool. So we have 30% of our business in the direct-to-consumer channel. 41% is over in the traditional wholesale. So that's the big um, distributors across the country. And then another 29% in our B2B. So that makes us a really differentiated model up against some of our competitors. Yeah. So diversification in not only what you said, sourcing, we can go down on the Central Coast, up in the Northwest, but we can then pivot yeah. when there's an, an economic downturn. Vintage Wine Estates with Bespoke, by the way, run by a former Diageo executive. And like them, you also do, you have gin. You've got something called Straight Edge Whiskey, which sounds amazing or terrifying. I don't know. <laughs> but Terry Wheatley, we will let you either go to bed or get, I, I don't know what time it is, but we appreciate you coming on Worldwide Exchange live from California. Terry, best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You're very welcome. All right, so with that in mind, let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines and also welcome in somebody who's on a more, I guess, humane time zone, NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning to you. We start with breaking news near Minneapolis, where police enforced a curfew on the second night of protests. Around 40 arrests were made overnight. Officials say that some officers were hit by debris and there were reports of looting at five businesses. These protests are in response to the death of Dante Wright, who was shot by police. His family is expected to speak at a press conference today, along with attorney Ben Crump and members of George Floyd's family. One student is dead and a police officer injured after a shooting inside a Tennessee high school. The shooting happened around three in the afternoon at the Austin East Magnet High School in Knoxville. When police arrived, the shooter was in the bathroom. They ordered him out. He refused, and then shots were fired. It turns out the shooter was a student there and died at the scene. 
Police are not releasing his name for now. There were two gunshot victims, including a police officer. The campus is closed for the next two days as police investigate. President Biden is planning to nominate the nation's first female secretary of the Army. If confirmed by the Senate, Christine Warmuth would be the first woman to hold that position. She was a former top policy official with the Defense Department under the Obama administration. Warmuth joins other women holding top Pentagon positions, including Kathleen Hicks and Kelly Magsman. An 18-year-old bowler made some history on the lanes. That is Anthony Nyer. He completed the elusive 7-10 split with ease during the U.S. Open semifinal match. He is the first person in 30 years to make that kind of move on TV and just the fourth person ever to convert the 7-10 split during a televised game. Brian, they call him the ginger assassin. For the rest of us, I guess it's just not getting those gutter balls. Or you put up, you know, the barrier so you don't even get one of those. But pretty impressive. Two things. With that shirt, they should call him the, the <laughs> fashion assassin. Some sweet threads. But I didn't know his, I don't know anything about bowling. The pin bounced off the back wall, and then I guess that's fine. I don't know. I, I thought, you know, usually you want to cut it, I guess. But however you do it, congratulations to the yeah. ginger assassin. You can't dispute it now. He's got that title, so all is good for him. Ginger fashion assassin. By the way, Francis, when, when you and I finally start... I don't know, our, our whiskey brand, Ginger Assassin. Sounds like a good name, right? Yeah, he better get a trademark for that one and get some bucks for it, too. Give me some Ginger Assassin, straight up. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. Sure thing. Well, from straight up to straight ahead, and why Johnson & Johnson is getting blowback from the AstraZeneca vaccine backlash. Former FDA Commissioner Peggy Hamburger is here to weigh in on that. Dow Futures up 24. We're back right after this. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody. Thanks for joining Worldwide Exchange. I'm Brian Sullivan. Let's get some of this morning's top stories, shall we? And what could be one of the largest SPAC deals ever, if not the largest, set to be announced? Bertha Coombs has more on that and more. Bertha. Brian Grab is reportedly set to announce today that it is merging with U.S.-based Altimeter. The expected deal and subsequent public listing would value the Southeast Asian ride-hailing startup at nearly $40 billion. Reuters reports the deal includes a $4 billion private investment in public equity, they call those pipes, from a group of global investors including Fidelity International and Janice Henderson. Virgin Atlantic CEO is warning that business travel may face a long-term hit from the pandemic, saying it may never fully recover. Speaking with the Financial Times, Cy Weiss, uh, Shai Weiss rather, says he's planning for an extended reduction in corporate trips. Weiss added that he expects a 20% drop compared to pre-pandemic levels over the next two years. And Australia has announced it will not buy Johnson & Johnson's one-dose COVID vaccine. Officials there making the decision, saying J&J's treatment is similar to AstraZeneca's vaccine, which Australia has already contracted to buy. The AstraShot, of course, has faced mounting questions over potential blood clotting issues associated with it. But in a new interview with the BBC this morning, Dr. Anthony Fauci says the AstraZeneca vaccine is a good one from an efficacy standpoint if safety issues can be sorted out. Fauci added that it might not be needed in the U.S. because of supply levels from other vaccine makers. Yeah, this vaccine rollout has gone pretty darn well, Brian. A few hiccups along the way, but considering that a year ago 
we were trying to figure out what this disease was. It's quite an incredible feat. You know, I, I remember being back December 12th in Shreveport, Louisiana, with the first batch of vaccines down there. Mm-hmm. I, I literally, Bertha, like got emotional. I saw the people get vaccinated. I thought this is the beginning of the end. And I still, I just got the chills literally just now. So it's, it's been really amazing. And thanks I, to all the I got emotional when, their tails. when I scheduled my shot. It just, even yeah. just getting Good that, that, that appointment was very emotional. It is, and it's been hard in, in parts of these areas, but it is emotional. Bertha, thank you very much. Well, why don't we stay right there, right? And talk about more about the virus, the vaccine rollout. It is time for your daily COVID-19 vaccination update. In all, more than 22% of Americans are now fully vaccinated. That's all Americans. So it's about half the people over the age of 18 that have received at least one dose of some kind of vaccine. Now, this follows a boom weekend for vaccinations, with the U.S. issuing jabs to more than 4.6 million people in a single day. Most of those first doses, but a lot, the second or, in the J&J case, the only Now, despite the breakneck pace of vaccinations, we're not quite out of the woods yet. We've got an 8% rise in new cases over the past week, but much of that is being skewed by most of Michigan and parts of Minnesota. Cases and hospitalizations overall are way down in America, but in the United States, in Michigan anyway, we are seeing a jump. About 39% of those cases are thought to be the British evolution of the bug. It is a little more contagious, but... A new study in The Lancet yesterday shows the British variant, as it is known, is not more dangerous, despite some other stuff that you might have read a couple of weeks ago. So some good news from The Lancet in a study about that British variant. But while case counts in the U.S. do remain about 75 to 80 percent below our highs of January, sadly, globally, it's a different story. Data compiled by Fundstrat shows cases nearing all-time highs around the world, specifically with India, Brazil, and Chile, each reporting about 150,000 new cases per day. That's about three times the U.S. average. To help navigate the narratives here and talk more about this, joining us is former FDA commissioner and former assistant director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Dr. Peggy Hamburg. Dr. Hamburg, thank you very much for joining us. The vaccine rollout, many were skeptical of it a few months ago. The mask started to work out. It's looking pretty good. Do you still consider it, as some of your colleagues have said, a race against time? Or do you feel like we can indeed see the finish line? You know, the advent of vaccines has been an extraordinary advance. And we are in a position to really get this virus under control but we aren't there yet. And it is a race against continuing spread and continuing evolution of variants. So we have to be mindful. We have to continue the public health interventions that we know make a difference. And we have to push vaccine out, um, make sure that everyone who wants vaccine gets it in the United States and around the world. No country is safe until we get vaccine to all countries and really um, combat this coronavirus pandemic through this remarkable scientific advance. It's been it's been truly incredible. And the the thought that the Moderna vaccine was actually created in a weekend, I think it was in late January of last year, just speaks wonders 
to this mRNA technology. That said, and I don't want to generalize across the United States, doctor, but I look at the data every day, as our viewers know, I've been out there sort of a little more optimistically pumping some of the math and the, and the numbers behind it. It looks like we're going to hit certain areas where hard to believe vaccine supply will outstrip demand. Well, that will be true in the United States. But as I said, we have to think about this as a global pandemic that needs global solutions. But the fact that we were able to go from the discovery of a novel coronavirus um, back in January of last year, the posting of the genome, um, January 10th, I think it was, by Chinese scientists, and vaccines into arms of people in less than a year is extraordinary. And it reflects, of course, the power of science and the power of scientists working together across government and industry and academia and across borders. And, you know, it, it, the vaccine, both the mRNA technology and the other vaccines that have been developed were developed at unprecedented speed thanks to collaboration. But It also reflects investments in science over a period of decades. And we can't forget that science um, and investments in science are driving the kind of advances that can help us um, to combat coronavirus. But the other big challenges that loom before us. I'm I'm embarrassed to admit this, doctor, but I was standing around the other day somewhere as other people around and I was sort of eavesdropping on a conversation. I mean, they were just talking out loud anyway. And it was a group of folks who were talking about either what vaccine they had had. Oh, which one did you get? I got Moderna. Oh, I got Pfizer. And then talking about which one they would prefer. And one of the people, and I'm sorry to say that I was eavesdropping, said, I don't want the J&J vaccine. And they were waiting. They were literally choosing the vaccine that they were trying to get at a location that had that vaccine. That speaks, I guess, of a, quote, good problem. But should we be that choosy? Would you, would you take the J&J vaccine? Should people... Uh, be able to decide which one they want to take? Well, right now, when vaccine supplies are still limited and the pandemic is still raging, strongly recommend that people take whatever vaccine they can get. These are a a set of vaccines that are really extraordinarily uh, uh, safe and efficacious. There are differences. Some prefer one jab, one and done. Others have been very impressed by the new mRNA technology, but they're good vaccines and they will make a difference and you should take whichever one you can get. But I'm glad that people are learning a lot about uh, how vaccines are developed and thinking about um, uh, health choices in their lives. Yeah. And, you know, it is one. Listen, whatever people out there have different views on vaccines. I have friends that are adamantly not going to take it. I've got friends that were in line the first day. I'm sure we all do. But whatever your decision is, when people do take it, especially like my folks who I was able to see a couple of months ago for the first time in in over a year, the joy they feel like they're going to start to reengage with normal life, at least in parts of, you know, the areas where we're still really concerned about it is kind of it's kind of heartwarming. Dr. Peggy Hamburg. Thank you for coming on the program. Thank you. All right. Coming up, it is one of the most highly anticipated market debuts of the year. Leslie Picker. No, that's not the market debut, but we are highly anticipating Leslie. She will lay out high stakes that are taking shape with Coinbase's direct listing. 
Dow futures up 34, but they're up, and we're back right after this. Well, today's most random but interesting thing has to do with maybe everybody's overall favorite topic. No, not sports. Real estate. Because you're smart enough to be watching or listening to CNBC, you know the American housing market has been red hot. But even red hot may not be a strong enough description. Blazing, scorching, sizzling. They all may be better descriptions. Insert your own here. Because listen to this random but interesting stuff from Redfin right now. Pending home sales, up 24%. The average home sale price, up 17% to more than 300000 nationally for the first time ever. One reason is the number of homes that are being listed are down 42%. Nobody's selling their home because they know if they do, they just got to pay up to buy somewhere else. If that's not enough, 59% of homes that did go on the market had an offer accepted in a week, and 42% of those... 42 sold above their list price. It is the perfect storm of demand from people moving to get out of cities, people needing more space for the home office, super low interest rates, and all that money sloshing around from extra savings during lockdowns, or maybe it's entirely something else. But however you look at it, real estate is on fire and hopefully not a long-term financial conflagration, but red hot nonetheless. Random, but interesting. All right, on deck, inflation, earnings, and the markets. News Street Advisors, Delano Sapporo is here. Break down the moves he is telling his clients to make amid that data, including one big tech name that he is red hot on. And if you have not already, subscribe to our podcast, Apple, Spotify. You know how to find it. Check it out. You get in the car. You can listen to the show. Then go back to yelling at the kids. We're back right after this. Coinbase, set to become a public company in one of the most highly anticipated market debuts of the year. And that direct listing on the NASDAQ all coming as cryptos continue to hit new highs. Bitco, Bit, Bitco, Bitcoin, maybe there is a Bitco, doing so in just the last hour as well. Leslie Picker, whatever it's called, joining us now with more on the big buzz <laughs> surrounding Coinbase. It's early. Rescue the show, Leslie. Bitco is a good name. Maybe uh, maybe you got something going there, Brian. But uh, to your point, tomorrow's debut of a crypto exchange is also a big deal for a more traditional exchange. That's because Coinbase is the Nasdaq stock market's first large direct listing. All of the others in recent years went to the New York Stock Exchange, going back to Spotify in 2018, Palantir last year and Roblox last month. Direct listings have become an increasingly popular way of going public. As opposed to the traditional IPO process, direct listings so far haven't involved capital raising, meaning companies won't sell shares at a set IPO price. Instead, with the direct listing, the price is determined by supply and demand in the market. For NASDAQ, the stakes are high. It's important for the exchange to show that it can flawlessly execute direct listings just like its competitor has. NASDAQ collects the same type of listing fees regardless of debut type. So it needs to go where the money is and money is going toward direct
direct listings increasingly these days. Also, Coinbase could be the largest ever direct listing by market cap. Based on recent trading in the private markets, Coinbase has been valued around $90 billion. Palantir and Slack, in contrast, were about a quarter of that size when they debuted. Spotify was a third and Roblox was half. Layer on top of all of that, you've got the crypto fan base, which is expected to turn out in a big way, which could impact the volume of shares traded tomorrow. So if it all goes as planned, though, the Coinbase deal could help the Nasdaq break into future direct listings. Brian. Is there anybody you're talking to, Leslie? I know you're talking to people all day long that are just thinking, I mean, we posted a picture of me at the Nasdaq at 99. I'm not comparing it to then. I mean, (laughs) But there, there is a walk-like-a-duck element to it. Anybody you talk to say this is just getting a little nuts or no? Yeah. I mean, one, one of the big benefits of doing a direct listing is the company, its advisors. Nobody has to actually say this is what we think the company is worth. You go out into the market and you see what the market decides what it's worth. Uh, and so I think, you know, when you have a company like Coinbase or some of these other names, that was an attractive feature because they didn't want to do the whole dance on the first day of trading of, you know, you gave money to institutional investors and left money on the table for the company or vice versa. You were too greedy as a company and the stock price went down on the first day of trading. This doesn't involve any of that because it's all up to the market, pure supply and demand. Uh, and yeah. so it's really up to the market to decide what this company is worth tomorrow. You know, in 99, people forget, and I'm not comparing the two, but I am. We had something called (laughs) e-money. We had a company called Wit Capital run by a guy named Andrew Klein, wrote a book, great guy, had a beer company, tried to change the way we IPO. We learned through Google what a Dutch auction was. The markets do tend to be pretty good at creative ways to do new things. And I would assume raise some fees in the process, Leslie. Yeah, I mean, one of the other attractive features of direct listings are that they don't technically take on, uh, require as much in the way of fees uh, for Wall Street and so forth. So a lot of these kind of renegade companies see that as another attractive feature. That said, there's still hefty fees involved. Usually direct listings have about tens of millions of dollars worth of fees paid to bankers alone. They serve in more of an advisory capacity throughout the process. So they're still there. Um, but nothing like, you know, some of these larger deals could take in about hundreds of millions of dollars in yeah. fees for the underwriters. Um, so it's significantly less than that, but still, you know, not cheap by any stretch of the word. There will be fees. It's, it's the new movie. Leslie Picker, great stuff there. Coinbase, <laughs> a massive story. Leslie, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks. All right, we'll check out Bitcoin or Bitco. Hitting record high this morning. All the cryptos are up. Bitcoin is at 63,170. Ethereum, 2,200. And Litecoin, we don't talk about that much, at about 250 bucks. All this happening is we've got some inflation data out today. Earnings and guidance starting to kick in later on this week. Tomorrow, you got pretty much every major bank or most of them coming out with their numbers. We're joined now by Delano Sapporu, founder and financial advisor at New Street Advisors. Delano, good to see you again. Do you think it's getting a little nuts out there? I mean, SPACs, direct (laughs) listings, you know, there's like 62 types of crypto now. I'm not saying everything is whatever, but do you feel like there is some frothy element to this or no? Thank you for having me, Brian. And Big Go, I think Big Go, Big Go is actually a real company so that you, you just you just realize something new there. I just um, got sued, uh, your, Delano. 
<laughs> and to your point, Brian, I think, you know, when, when you have these new elements of, of kind of breaking into something new, um, there are bits, bits and pieces of that element that will probably seem, like you said, frothy or they'll, they'll probably lose their value. But I do think we're breaking into something new when you look at it specifically at cryptocurrency that is, is, has real staying power. Obviously, as we know now, we're seeing institutional buying, we're seeing the direct listing of Coinbase, which I think is really going to change the sentiment for, you know, your average investors into saying, okay, now we have a more marketable way to just jump into crypto, even if they dive into a more, you know, area where they can see more about it. But um, with these elements, you're going to see that. You're going to see things that lose a lot of their value, but things that have the real staying power. We saw in 99, as you were mentioning, that stay around and really change things uh, drastically forever and do a lot of great good. So that's, that's kind of where I think we're at, right? We're on that precipice right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. And I bring this up because you brought us a stock pick, which we love. And you're not going to like what I have to say, but yeah. So yesterday we had the nuanced Microsoft deal, Microsoft, the stock you lock like they paid 56 bucks a share. I put out on Twitter a picture of nuance because I've been doing this a long time. The stock was down over six years. It was to a $20 stock less than two years ago. Now, Microsoft, can we bring up a five year chart of, uh, of nuance in UAN guys. Thank you. The point I'm trying to make Delano is that Microsoft could have had nuance for, for 20 bucks a share less than two years ago. They paid 56 now. Now, maybe things have changed, but do, do you, you still obviously like the stock? You're still convinced Nadella is making right moves. You don't sound like you're worried that maybe, thank you guys, that maybe these companies are starting to overpay because you have to. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, with the Microsoft deal, Microsoft's been very, you know, really aggressive. You, you saw their name throw in the TikTok uh, bid. You saw they were in talks with Discord. So they've been over aggressive. I think that's, you know, what management has seen for, you know, what they're trying to drive in organic growth. And, and you're right. When you have a market where things are going up um, and things have been the backdrop for markets has been really, really strong. Right. We have the reopening. We have, you know, effective rollout of the vaccine. So the market backdrop has been really strong for investors. And that drives up uh, bidding. Uh, uh, as you mentioned, so Microsoft, which could have paid a lot less uh, for Nuance Communications, is now paying a lot, uh, a lot more. I think it was a 25% premium on Friday's close. So we have a situation where we but have you're not these scared off. You still sounds like you, you, you know, they bought LinkedIn. By the way, yeah. you talked yeah. about TikTok poking around, Discord poking around. Doesn't sound like you're worried. You still like the stock. How come? 100%, 100%. I like the stock because I do agree with the aggressiveness and the way that management is growing, right? So they, the Nuance Communications deal is great for them to get into that healthcare area. So Nuance has been great and, and one of the big software uh, providers to uh, in, in the healthcare area. And I think that's a great way for Microsoft to even more further diversify, which they're, the business that, that they have right now is obviously so diversified and doing well for, for investors. Uh, I think this is a great deal. And I think that technology, the AI technology, could be also applied in other areas for Microsoft. So I think that's a very, very good deal that we'll see things come from in the future uh, once we see uh, this deal close. Yeah, and the deal there, uh, 56 bucks a share. The nuance still is not at that price, so you wonder kind of where that all may end up. Just quickly, before we let you go, got about 20 seconds here. Macro market view, Delano, you think we still got some gains left this year? I think we do. I think we do. I think it's been relatively quiet, which has been, you know, kind of interesting in backdrop in comparison to what we've seen before, but I think we do. <laughs> Delano Sapporo, New Street Advisors. Delano, thank you very much. Got me all thank choked you, up. <laughs> and again, there we go. By the way, Bitco is a Davenport, Iowa-based insurance company. It's been around for a uh, hundred years, so I don't think that name is available. Either way, you go, Bitco. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.